Good morning. It is a treat for me to be with y'all. It's a, um, a joy to have had these past couple of weeks to be able to be with you. Your presence is an encouragement to me every time I come. I really appreciate this congregation. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to know you and to also help you to know the living God through our time together in worship. Uh, yesterday, I got a really encouraging email, um, an email from a pastor uh, out in the far west who emailed me to say, I wanted to let you know that a former student of yours has shown up at our church and that he is actually getting baptized today. And he's a student who I met with and who uh, was curious about Christianity but was closed off to it. Uh, because of his experience with Christians. But as we met, he opened up more and more to the ideas of the gospel. But then the pandemic hit, and we lost connection. And I've been praying for him for a long time and wondered what has happened to him. And this email came out of the blue yesterday, and it was a deep encouragement to me to be reminded of the reality that my work on campus is not ultimately my work but God's work, and that the God who brought me into this student's life, brought others into his life, and ultimately brought this student to the church that he's now getting baptized into. And that is an encouragement to me, an encouragement to all of us to remember God's faithfulness to work through his people. But it also reminds me the reality that, that and this is something I tell my students, that discipleship is a team sport. Discipleship is a team sport. It's not that I disciple students by myself on the campus. It's not that we have a task of being the individual people to bring people to where they need to be, but discipleship is a team sport. It's what we do as a community in community. It's the work of the church, which is in a sense what we confess when we're talking about the keys of the kingdom. Discipleship is a team sport. And this is a part of what we need to remember, even as we're looking together these last couple of weeks of today, at, at some of the fruit of the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit is not about you becoming a better you. Christianity is not a self-improvement project. But the fruit of the Spirit is a way that God brings restoration into his people, restoration into the world by implanting in them his character. The fruit of the Spirit is given to us as a way to create a community of restored people, looking more like the image of God that they were created to be. You know, Paul puts the fruit of the Spirit uh, in Galatians chapter 5 after describing what a destructive community looks like. Because what he's wanting is for people to think about what a community that is restored in a place of healing looks like. And today we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit through the lens of one of the aspects of that fruit, the aspect of gentleness. Because gentleness is a key component of, of how we can find a sense of restoration in community. Because gentleness is a key component of how growth happens within that context of a community. 
And what we're going to reflect on and hopefully ultimately see is that it's through gentleness that growth is generated. It's through gentleness that growth is generated. But now let's go to God's word as Paul speaks to us of gentleness. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I will read for us this God's word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm going to pause and ask that he would write its blessings on our heart, and I invite you to pray along with me if you'd like. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that in your kindness you speak to us, that we might be healed by you, your strength, and your love, and your character through the work of your Son and the testimony of your Spirit. We pray you would do these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. My daughter, Nora, uh, plays the cross, and um, we went to one of her lacrosse games last year. And during the game, there was a girl who had her shoulder dislocated. It popped right out of socket. And when that happened, the, the trainer ran onto the field to look at her, and the trainer realized what happened. And so what the trainer did is popped it right back in. And you could see the wince on the face of the girl as the, the trainer did this, but that's the job of the trainer, right? To restore that player back to the strength that they need to play. Now, if that was you, what kind of trainer would you want to have show up midfield in the midst of your pain? You'd want someone that would be strong enough to do it. To, if they had the strength and were going to try to pop your shoulder back in, would be strong enough to actually manipulate the joints like that. You'd want them to bring the maximum healing that you need, but you would also want them to do it in a way that was sensitive, thoughtful, aware of the pain that you are in, and aware of the pain that they could cause if they didn't do it well. You'd want someone who was strong, but also aware of the pain that you were in, and so thoughtful about how they used that strength. This combination of strength and care is what Paul has in mind when he speaks about gentleness as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And we hear that even in the midst of this passage in Galatians chapter 6. Here Paul speaks to the community of saints saying brothers, which of course includes all male and female people in the body of Christ. Brothers, if any is caught in any transgression, do you hear how he's calling the whole community to be caring? That this isn't just the, the elite of the community, but that all the community is called to be caring for each other. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
If anyone is hurting, if anyone is struggling in sin, if anyone has a need, Paul says, you, the body of Christ, move towards that person. If you see them on the field hurting, you rush out like that trainer to address that need. You don't just say, well, that must be tough for them. I hope they figure it out or I'll pray for them from over here. But Paul wants the body of Christ to be a group of people that move towards those who are in need. You who are spiritual, who have the spirit in you, should restore them, Paul says. And that word restore in the Greek is what kind of cued in my mind the idea of that story of the trainer because that word in the Greek is used in reference to athletic trainers and the work that the athletic trainer would do with people that are injured. Paul uses this kind of medically tinged word to describe what the experience should be like in the body of Christ. That the body of Christ is a place of restoration where people come and put right what has gone wrong in each other's lives. Taking the broken and mending it. Taking the broken and bringing them the care that they need. Do you think that the body of Christ is like that? You know, I had um, no father that was around when I was young. My parents divorced when I was two, and my dad moved to Florida when I was in fourth grade. And so I, I didn't really have a father that was around. But one day I was kind of reflecting on that, and something clicked that I thought was fascinating. I looked back, and I saw that, that shortly after my dad live, uh, left to live in Florida, Bill showed up in my life. And Bill was a member of the church that we went to in Atlanta. And he came and he began to be present in my life. He took me to sporting events. He hung around me. He just brought me into his life in a way that was kind and loving. And then after Bill came Michael, another person who in his kindness and love brought me into his life, encouraging me, strengthening me, teaching me about Jesus. Michael moved on, but Gail came into my life. Gail and I would go to Denny's every Saturday, and he taught me how to read my Bible. He taught me what it looked like to be a godly father by having me come over to his house. When I got into an accident, he helped me repair the car. After Gail came Richard, after Richard came Cliff, I, I began to see and trace in my life, all the spiritual fathers that God brought into my life. And what that reminded me, what that spoke into me, is the reality that, yes, in this world, we often lose things that are vital. In this world, we experience the loss of a broken world. But what the body of Christ is meant to do and what the body of Christ can do is bring healing into those places of hurt. I may have lost the presence of my physical father, but the body of Christ provided abundantly the fathering that I needed. Do you think about the church that way? Do you think about the body of Christ that way? That this gathering right here is a community where we bring healing into each other's lives. Do you realize that everyone in this room can benefit from your presence? 
that you can be a part of the healing and the hurts with the people that are right there next to you? And do you realize that you can experience the healing that you need, the encouragement against the fight of sin, the encouragement for the trauma that you've experienced, the encouragement for the gaps in your life from the people that are right here with you? Paul in Ephesians 4 draws this implication out. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There Paul says that we need each other to grow fully, to become people of love. We need each other to become more mature. We need you. You need us. Christian discipleship in that way is a team sport where everyone's presence matters. But what is it that often keeps us from experiencing that in the, the body of Christ? What is it that often ex keeps us from experiencing that in the church? What causes us to hold back from opening up about the sins that, that we feel so easily entangled by, the sins that we are caught in, the sins that are destroying our soul and our joy? What causes us to keep from calling up and asking someone to pray for us in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of our despair? What causes us to hold back? Isn't it that fear that it's just going to be an experience of hurt. That I'll bring this pain into this person's life and I'll just experience more pain. I'll bring this hurt into the community and it won't really bring healing. This is why Paul makes it clear that, that the healing happens in a community where gentleness is known where gentleness is evident, where gentleness is felt. In order for us to experience the healing and restoration we need in the body of Christ, that body of Christ has to be a place that is marked by people who are gentle. And you can understand this reality, that if people think that this place is not a place where they experience gentleness, they won't bring their hurts. They won't bring their sickness. When I was young, our doctor growing up, and I'm not exaggerating, wouldn't let you leave without giving you a shot. He really wouldn't. It was like, no matter what, you have a sniffle, well, I got a shot for that. And so every time that I went to the doctor, I knew that I would be leaving, not with candy, but with a shot. But we ended up moving kind of uh, around middle school and we went to this new doctor and I was shocked that he didn't give me a shot. I just assumed that's what doctors had to do. That was just a part of the requirement of being a medical professional is giving someone a shot. I was surprised that I left without getting a shot and, and that changed me because I thought, well, wow, well, maybe I should go to the doctor more often because he's gonna actually not bring more pain into my life, but less. You see, that's what we should experience in the body of Christ. Not a place that we think when we show up, we wince 
because we think we're going to experience more pain. But we show up because we know that this is going to be a place where we're going to experience healing and restoration. You will not trust someone with your pain if you do not think that they will be gentle. You will not trust someone with your sin if you do not trust them to be gentle with how they address you. Because you rightly worry that their presence is going to bring you more pain than healing. So Paul says we must be a community where gentleness is what is felt for healing to happen. But in order for that gentleness to happen, it requires us to be people who are marked by humility. Gentleness requires an ability to be radically aware of the person that is in front of you so that you don't bring more pain into their life. And you can't do that if you're caught up with yourself. You can't be gentle if you're thinking mostly about yourself. And so that's why Paul makes a connection between humility and gentleness in this passage. You see this in verse 4 when he says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And again, in verse 2, he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here, Paul is speaking in the context of dealing with someone who is trapped in a sin. And Paul sees that it'd be easy to, in that situation, to think about this person as someone who is beneath you, worse than you. Like, wow, I can't believe that they struggle with that sin. Wow, I've never been tempted like that before. We can, in the midst of seeing someone else's sins, begin to think that we are better than them. We can think that we're stronger than them. If they only would try a little harder, if they would only take this step, that's what I would do in that situation. You see, what we're doing there is we're looking at their sin through the eyes of our strength. We're looking at their sin through the eyes of ourself. And when we do that, we begin to think that we are something and that they are nothing. And so what they need is to be more like us. And when we begin to think that they need to be more like us, they feel that too. They begin to feel that sense of judgment, subtle criticism disdain, being looked down upon. They don't experience gentleness. They experience that judgment. And so that's why Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul doesn't want you to think about you because the more that you think about you, the less that you will be able to think about them. The more that you think about you, the less that you will be able to see the pain, see the hurt, and come to them with empathy and understanding and gentleness. This is really what Jesus is getting after when he says, first take the log out of your own eye so that you can clearly see the speck in your brother's eye. You can't really bring healing without first seeing your own sin, Jesus says. Humility is required to be a healing presence. 
Paul sees humility as a key aspect to growing in gentleness because it enables you to be aware of the pain of sin personally. Aware of the way that it has wounded you personally. Aware of the way that it has been incredibly hard for you to fight against sin personally. So that when you are coming alongside who is struggling in sin, you don't come across in a way that says, why can't you just get your act together? Why can't you be more like me? Why can't you just try harder? You know how painful, how hard it is to fight against sin. Paul wants us to be people that are wounded and aware of that wound so that when we come into those who are also wounded, We come with a tenderness towards that wound because we've known what it felt like to be wounded like that. And so our humility brings out gentleness. But it'd be easy to think about gentleness just in that kind of cautious way of, I see that bruise, I don't want to push into it. I see that wound, I don't want to push into it. But gentleness doesn't mean weakness. Gentleness requires a level of strength. If you're writing a resume, you don't think that you should lead with gentleness, do you? You want to demonstrate aspects of your strength. And we often think of being gentle as just being a pushover. Someone that is easily weak or soft-spoken, doesn't stand up for themselves. But Paul wants us to see that gentleness is not weakness, but gentleness requires strength. We see this way in that Paul characterizes the role of the gentle is to rescue someone who is caught in a transgression. Paul there is describing the the picture of how, how a hunter would run down a wild boar and catch that wild boar by surprise. That's what he's picturing when he uses that phrase of someone being caught in a transgression. That this is someone who has been attacked by something dangerous. And he says the body of Christ should see that dangerous creature and not run away, but run towards. Run towards that dangerous enemy. Run towards that strong enemy. When Paul calls them to restore one another, he's calling them into battle against a deadly foe. This is not a task for the weak. It's a task for the strong. Paul's calling people to be strong in the face of a fierce opponent, to fight against the deadly foe, to rescue and restore one another. And when you're hurting, you want someone who's not going to make you hurt more, but you also want someone who is strong enough to be with you in the pain. If you're really sad, what do you worry about when you think about talking to other people? I have this happen to me regularly. I sit down with a student and and they they begin to open up about some aspect of their life that is burdening them, that is weight on them, that that brings them a lot of sadness. And, And they almost always at the end say, I'm sorry for dumping all that on you. I'm sorry for burdening you with that. Why do they say that? It's because they think that that bringing that weight of sadness into my life is going to be crushing for me because that's what it feels like to them. 
And I always am thankful to say, it's not crushing to me, but I'm thankful that you shared that burden with me. But that's what we worry about in the midst of our, our grief, in the midst of our sin, or in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our pains, is that, that if I bring this to someone else, it's going to weigh them down. I bring this to someone else, it's going to take them down with me. And that's why gentleness requires strength. Because we need to bring our pain to others knowing that they can bear the load. This is what Paul is picturing when he says, bear one another's burdens. He knows that dealing with hard things is a burden to us. And we feel that weight. But we should be a community that is strong enough to bear that weight with our brother, to bear that weight with our sister. When you feel burdened by sadness, you want someone who can be there with you, who can cry with you, but to not worry that when they leave, that that sadness is going to overwhelm them. In fact, their strength is what helps your sadness to feel less overwhelming. To see them cry, to see them mourn with you, and to be with you brings their strength into your heart in a way that you need. You will not share a burden with someone that you think is too weak to carry it. You'll not share a burden with someone who seems reluctant to share the weight with you. A gentle person does not come off as weak, but as strong. It has a strength that is available for you to use. You see, this is what gentleness is. It's a clear-eyed awareness of others that enables you to draw on their strength for your care. Gentleness is strength being used wisely, thoughtfully, and powerfully for the tender restoration of another. Which is why Paul uses gentleness as, as the idea of rescuing people from sin and, and caring for each other's burdens and describes us all as fulfilling the law of Christ. What a powerful phrase, fulfilling the law of Christ. And by law, Paul doesn't mean that this is something that you have to do in order to be accepted by God, but he's saying that this is the character of Jesus. This is what it looks like to live out Jesus's character to bear one another's burdens, because that's the nature of Jesus, the nature of Jesus that we confessed as we reminded ourselves of his words in Matthew, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. It's the character of Jesus that we see even on the cross. Think about the cross. Think about how it'd be easy for Jesus to be caught up in his own pain, caught up in his own suffering as he is bearing the burden of our sin on himself. But even in the midst of bearing that burden, what do we see Jesus do? We see him do remarkable things. One of those things is this. He looks out into the crowd and he sees his mother in her grief as she sees her firstborn son dying, the one who was supposed to care for her in her widowed life for the rest of her life, she sees him dying. And Jesus in that moment sees her need and he addresses it and looks to his best friend and says, you now care for her as though she was your mother. And mother, look at him as though he will be your son. 
Jesus was able to have that clear-eyed awareness of other people's pain, and he has such great strength that even bearing the burden of our sins, he still had space to care for the burden of his mother, his mother's need. But it's beautiful. He didn't even think, I can do this. No, I know that I'm going to the Father, but he looked to the body of Christ, to John, to be a part of bearing that burden for him. Jesus is one who is strong enough to bear the greatest burden, but yet gentle enough to bring his strength into the lives of others. Matthew describes Jesus through the prophecy of Isaiah in this way, saying, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Do you hear the way that he's describing gentleness? That Jesus can take a barely lit match and move slowly enough that it doesn't go out. That he could take a flower that has been bruised and is weakened in the stem, but he can hold it in a way that it never breaks. But at the same time, he's moving, as Matthew says, to bring victory for justice. Gentle. Strong. His gentleness wins the war. And this is what Paul wants Christians to be like. This is what he wants the church to be like. People that are strong enough to bring a victory for justice in this world. But how? Through bearing each other's burdens. Through seeing with clear-eyed awareness the pain of those that are around them and moving towards them with a hope of healing and restoration, moving towards them with a desire to not bring needless pain into their life, but restoration. And the church should be a place where people know that that is what they will feel. Paul in the book of Philippians says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The church should be a place where people know I can find gentleness. But that calls us to be a part of that. For us to be people that are marked by gentleness. Is your presence gentle? Do people see you as having enough space in your life that that they can bring their burdens to you and not expect you to carry it all. No, Paul says each one must bear their own load, but that they know that they will find in you someone who is willing to enter into that with them and share that burden with them. Do people see you as strong enough to be gentle? Do people get that sense from you that their gentleness will be seen with a sense of humility, that they will not be judged by you, looked down by you, disdained by you for their their weakness or the sins that they struggle with or the pains that are hurting to them? Do they see you as someone who is humble enough that they will experience gentleness? Do people see you as being someone who is gentle enough that you will not bring more pain into their life but healing? Does your family think of you that way? Your neighbors, your friends. Gentleness should be evident to all. 
But gentleness is not something that we can create. It's something that we receive. Gentleness is not something that we muster out of our own will because it is a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is not from us, but from Him. It is something that comes to us through the Spirit as we look to Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly for heart. It comes through our humility as we realize that we are not gentle people, that we are caught in the transgression of pride and sin. But yet, we look to the one who does come to bear our burden, the burden of sin, and to take us from the transgressions that so easily catch us and bring us the healing and restoration that we need. Where do you find gentleness? In Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit aren't things that we grow for ourselves, but that God grows in us as he implants the seeds of his character into our heart and waters and nourishes as it bears fruit in the character of our community and our own life. This is what God does to his people, using his strength wisely and tenderly and precisely for your care because he wants you to be like him. He wants you to be gentle. And he does that with his own gentleness. In the book of Samuel, David writes this, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. God's gentleness generates growth in you. God's gentleness makes you great by making you like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are kind to us, patient with us, loving with us, joyful with us, and that as you shown us all the aspects of your character that are seen in the fruit of the Spirit, you bring them out in our life. Help us to have a clear-eyed awareness of you, that we might be gentle towards others, and that our gentleness might be seen by all. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.